as a heads up, we're about to go from a really beautiful time of worship to my least favorite passage in the whole New Testament. So get ready. If you, thank you. If you grew up in church, then you might be familiar with the story of Ananias and Sapphira. If not, then this is the first time you're going to hear it, and just consider yourself warned this story is interesting. Um, we're in Acts chapter 5. We're going through a series called Fire and Wind where we're looking at what the church was created to be. This is the beginning not just of the human story, not just of the Jesus story, but of our story. We are part, a local expression of the church, the community of God. So this, the book of Acts, tells us who we are, what our life is supposed to look like, how we interact with the world around us. So Acts chapter 5, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up there. That's where we're going to be today, and I'm going to jump right in. Starting in verse 1, it says this, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, He brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. This is where it gets interesting. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Now some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. This is, this is not in my notes. I just think this would be super weird. If you're like an intern at a church, you get called into a meeting, and it's like, yeah, this guy's dead. Can you wrap him up? Like, I would be done. I'd be out after that. <laughs> About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? She said, yeah, yes, she said, that is the price. And Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. Yikes. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events, and the interns quit. (laughs) As always, every time we open the word of God, no matter how weird the story, it is right for us to take a minute and ask the Lord to speak to us, because it's his word and it's his story. We want to learn from him. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we know you're with us. You feel your presence. It's not just about what we here to be with God. We're to know you because it's only by knowing you that we can bring your goodness to the world around us. Let that happen. Let your name be glorified. Amen. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt like who you are doesn't work where you are? Who you are doesn't fit doesn't fit in where you are. When I was in high school, I had one primary goal. I would have never told you this, but I had one primary goal, and that was to be cool. 
and I did anything in my power to conceivably be cool. If we had a slideshow of pictures of me from ages like 13 to 18, you would be shocked at how many different ways one person can dress in an attempt to be cool. Um, see, I, I kind of, I feel like I had the odds stacked against me. Um, I grew up, uh, my dad pastored a really small church when I was young. Uh, we didn't have a youth group or kids or anything, um, and I was homeschooled. Now, most people, like now when you think of homeschoolers, you might think of like free-range parenting and granola and like kids with surfboards and long hair and out of the box and stuff. When I was growing up, homeschool meant like bowl cuts and overalls. Um, so, and that was, that was how I grew up um, a little bit. And so I, when I got to like ninth grade, around that time, my dad got a job at a different church that had a bigger youth group, 30 or 40 kids. And I started going to this small Christian school. And I learned that whatever cool was, I wasn't that. Very quickly. Eighth and ninth graders are very mean sometimes. Um, but I have this very distinct memory. I tried so hard to be cool. And I have this very distinct memory from, I think, ninth grade. Okay, a girl, an upperclassman girl, invited me to a Christmas party. I didn't know at the time that she was just a very kind person who invited the whole school. Um, I thought an upperclassman girl invited me to a Christmas party, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, I made it, right? And at that time, my version of cool was I noticed, like, everybody's listening to hip-hop, and there's this guy, this rapper named Eminem that's super popular. Um, so you can Google him if you haven't heard of him. I'll, don't read the lyrics. Listen to the radio version. Um, so I roll up to this party, and I, I mean, I thought I was dressed to kill, right? I mean, I thought I was just ready to go. I was wearing, like, off-brand Jinko jeans. You guys remember Jinko jeans? They were the perfect for going to the movies because you could fit like four cans of soda and three boxes of Mike and Ike's in the pockets. Like they went down to your knees, right? I've got those on. I've got, and at this point in my life, I weighed like 95 pounds soaking wet. I was just a scrawny kid. And I roll, I've got this baggy hoodie on and I have underneath it a extremely tight white tank top. Like that works if you have muscles, but I have never had muscles. I have never, I rolled up to this party looking like Eminem if he were homeschooled, right? Um, I have this very distinct memory from about halfway through the party, and I should probably talk about this with my therapist later, but I'm talking about you, with, with you now, so that's going to help me deal with this. I, I have this very distinct memory. I looked over this way, all the girls in the party were kind of over there. I looked over this way, and all the guys at the party were kind of over there. I was in the middle. Like, I don't think what I'm doing works here. <laughs> I don't think who I am fits in here. Now, for me, that sent me on this, and a lot of other stuff sent me on this just effort and desire to fit in, to be cool. I mean, I wanted to listen to the music that popular, that's successful, the cool people. I wanted to wear the clothes. I wanted to read the books. I wanted to uh, take the classes, listen to the podcasts. I wanted to like the preachers and like the music that the cool people or the people who fit in liked. That, that was what I wanted to do. It became all about figuring out how to be perceived as cool. Now, here's what I know. Human beings have a perception problem. We care a lot about how we are perceived. Now, some of you here are like, TJ, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. And I bet you care a lot that nobody knows, that nobody <laughs> gets to shape you. I bet you care a lot that you know that nobody, you don't care what anyone thinks of you. I really messed up that sentence. Didn't think the way I thought it was going to. We're going to move on past it. 
perception problem. Now, I don't know what it looks like for you. For you, you might be fully committed to not needing help from your own. You want to be able to do it yourself. You've seen other people who needed help and handouts, and you're not going to look like one of those people. Now, for you, it might be you are going to be different. You are going to stand out. You're going to do everything you can to not play the same team everyone else is. Maybe for you, you've got to prove that you are actually worth it and you are actually valuable and what that person said when you were young isn't actually true. Human beings have this perception. Now, I don't like this story. And it's not just because that, honestly, it seems to me like death was a little overkill. Someday I'm going to ask God why he didn't just give them a stern talking to. Um, but it's more than that. Because this story, this story is not about giving. Now, that's not just me saying that. That's not just CJ getting up here and giving you his opinions. Scholars and commentators and pastors from a lot of different backgrounds will tell you this story is not about giving. The, the point of Ananias and Sapphira is not they should have gave everything. The point of the story of Ananias and Sapphira is a perception problem. See, here's what's going on. If you were to back up a few verses, or you were to remember what Tanner taught about last week, you would know that in this moment in the life of this young church, this church was figuring out who it was, what its mission was. It was still being birthed. And in this moment, there were all of these people in the church who saw this beautiful thing that God was doing. They saw this community being formed where people valued generosity, where people valued sacrifice. They saw this community being formed where outcasts and and the people from every strata of society were being brought together and forgiven and invited into something new. They saw a world that was divided. They saw a world that used power and resources to keep people down. And they saw a community that was being formed in the name of Jesus who was preaching the forgiveness of sins. As Paul wrote in Ephesians that out of that was divided a new house, one new building was being formed. They saw this and these people took the extra that they had and they sold it and gave it to the community. And they brought all of that to the community. They saw that what God was doing in this place was more valuable than just having extra. And it happened multiple times. In fact, one specific person in the story gets named. He's named Joseph, also called Barnabas. And he gets a shout out. And getting a shout out in the Bible is kind of a big deal. His name is specifically mentioned. He sold a piece of land, and he laid the money at the apostles' feet. Now, our verse starts with, depending on your translation, the word now or the word but. Anytime you open up your Bible and you read a verse that starts with now or but or therefore or something like that, what it means is that what's happening in this story is directly related. It comes right out of what happened in the last now Ananias and Sapphira also had some land. They saw this generosity. They saw people getting recognized. And they had some land. And they wanted to be recognized for giving it all. What the story makes clear is that Ananias and Sapphira, listen, the, the sin wasn't stealing from the Sin was lying and deception and dishonesty. It wasn't that they didn't give it all. It was that they came wanting to be perceived 
someone who did care for me. Ananias and Sapphira cared more about who people thought they were than who they actually were. Ananias and Sapphira cared more about how they were seen than who they were becoming. Now listen to me. Human beings have a perception problem. Every single person in this room, every single person in any room has had a moment in life where you felt like what you were doing didn't add up, didn't live up, where you felt like you had to play the game or you had to put on a facade or you had to do something different or change something in order to be, in order to fit in and be welcome. Listen, this is in every book. It's in every movie. It's in everything from Hallmark movies to war movies. It's in every girl who's like grew up in a princess but actually wanted to be a tomboy. And it's in the end of Saving Private Ryan when Private Ryan kneels at Tom Hanks' grave and says, I hope I was worth it. It's part of every human story, this struggle with being who we were created to be, this struggle with the difference between how we are perceived. In fact, it goes back to the very beginning. If you were to open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 3, you would see the first time sin enters the world. Satan, in the story, doesn't attack Adam and Eve with pornography or with theft. No, he asks them a question. He says, what's going to happen if you eat the fruit God said not to eat? And they say, we'll die. first lie in human history was an identity-lie. It was an attack on who you are. The first attack of the enemy in every attack he has against you is an attack against who you are. He tells you, you are not enough. You will never be enough. Their secrets aren't like your secrets, so keep your secrets secret. He says, who you are isn't enough for this place. He says, God can accept who they are, but he can't accept who you are. He says, you've kept up the facade so long it can't crack now. Keep it going. He says, Satan attacks your identity because you were made in the image of God. And every time he attacks your identity, he attacks who they're supposed to be. Satan's first attack is always against who you're supposed to be. Who you are. And he teaches us to craft these perceptions. For some of us, we become the type of people who are always controlling an image. We always know how we want people to perceive us, and we'll use perception, and we'll use words, and we'll use phrases to gain influence, a lot like Ananias and Sapphira. For others of us, it keeps us crippled, because we're so convinced that who we are won't work that we never even try. cannot accept how you want to be perceived. And God can't love who you hope to become. Because that's not who you are. God sees who you actually are. 
transformation and impact and the things that you are longing for only come if you are willing to, with honesty towards yourself and towards your community and towards the Lord, bring who you actually are to the feet of Jesus. Because God loves you right now as you are. Listen, I know you've got secrets. I know you've got struggles. I know you've got addictions. I know you've got things that you hope I never ask you about. I know you've got things that every time you get called into a meeting, you hope that question never comes up. We've got those things. God loves you as you are. As you are. God can't use who you hope you are next year. Because it's not next year. He can use who you are right now if you're willing to bring who you are to the table. God loves who you actually are. There is no one who is too anything for God to love right now as you are. dollar that I have, everything that I have, that this story would go completely different if Ananias and Sapphira would have just said, we sold a piece of property, but we're going on vacation with half of it, and we're giving the other half to the church. Peter would have probably said, that's not a great way to use your money, but thanks for being honest. If they would have said, hey, we're, we're going to give you 75% of it, we're really tight financially right now. If they would have brought who they are to the table, the story would have been completely different because the danger in the story wasn't stealing from God. It was lying to God. It wasn't stealing from the church. It was lie, It was being inauthentic because God loves your authentic, actual self problems and all. Let me say that one more time. God loves everything that you hope he never finds out about. All of those parts of you. And yes, yes, we might be addicted and we might struggle. We might be broken. We might have places that we want to grow. But here's the thing. You're not going to grow those things on your own. It hasn't worked so far. So it's not going to work next year or in 10 years. It's, it's not going to work when you accomplish all your work goals. Jesus can only transform you into who you were created to be if you actually bring who you are to the table. The freedom you're looking for only comes when you embrace who you are right now and bring that to the Lord with no facade. When you bring that to the people of God, there is nothing more freeing in the community of God when you actually say, when you actually say, this is who I am. Do you guys still love me? And they say, well, God still loves me, so yes, I do. God can't accept who you want to be, but he's already accepted who you are. Not because of you, because of the work of Jesus on the cross that took care of everything that was keeping you from him. Everything unacceptable was taken care of on the cross so that if you would just trust that work, you are already accepted. It's facades that destroy the church. Of course the church is full of hypocrites you and I are in it. When we start to bring our actual selves to the kingdom, experience the transformation of Jesus, that's how the church beats our hypocrites. Now I already said, I, I don't know why God responded so directly <laughs> to Ananias and Sapphira. But if I had to guess, and this is just a guess, I would say it's because this church was still young. Their identity was still being formed. They were still figuring out what their culture was and what it meant to live out the kingdom of God in that place. And the most dangerous thing about how I'm perceived and who I am 
something that I care more about how I'm known than who I'm becoming in Christ. I want to tell you, church, that the second I or anyone on the teaching team at the fold becomes more committed to preaching the best sermons and being known as a good preacher, the second we become more concerned about being known for something than using our skills to bring glory to God with the word of God to the very best of our ability, the second that switch happens, we lose the mission. The second that we decide we want to be known as having the best worship and the best songwriters and the best everything in the upstate, instead of using our skills to bring glory to God and invite people into his presence for his glory and his name, the second that switch happens, we, you, we lose the mission. Whether it's our youth, kids, small groups, anytime we as a community decide it's more about how we're known than who we are becoming. It's more about the perception we create than actually the story of Jesus. Then we lose the mission. And I want to tell you, church, that there is a day coming. We look around right now, and it's a holiday week, and we've got NPCs. There's a day coming when we are going to have to figure out where in the world to put people in the basket. And there's a day coming at the fold, and we're going to figure out how to do two services. And there's a day coming at the fold where we are going to see millennials, a generation of people that have largely left the church because they've been broken and hurt, and they've walked away. And we're going to see a place that's birthing healing and wholeness in the lives of people who have walked away and we're going to be trying to keep up with what God is doing that day is coming and there are people in this room listen there are leaders in this room right now who are going to be leading fold groups that we don't even know exist yet there are people in this room I believe that are going to probably plant churches that we haven't even thought of yet there are people in this room who are going to write songs that we don't know we're going to sing yet there are people in this room that have skills with your hands and with your heart that you are going to serve in ministries we haven't even thought of yet but I want to tell you we do not need who you want to be we do not need who you're becoming. We need who you are. We need who you are right now to pursue the mission God's given us because God has given us as a community a mission that is beautiful and good and we are growing into it and we are figuring it out and we are becoming this place of healing and wholeness that's overflowing into the world around us and that's a big and significant vision. It's a big and significant mission. And right now, right now is when God wants to use you. Right now, not how you want to be, not who you want to be, not when you get your doubts figured out, not when your addiction is just dealt with. God wants you now, as you are. God can't use who you want to be. He can only use who you are. I've said this so many times, and I'm going to say it again. There is no one who is too anything for Jesus if you are willing to bring your actual self to the table. There is no one who is too far. There is no one who is too much. Yes, you can find freedom from that addiction. Yes, there, there will be a time in the future where you're transformed and you're not struggling with lust. There, yes, there will be a time where generosity is birthed in your heart. But, it's, but God doesn't accept you when you get there. He accepts you now so he can form that in you. He needs you as you are. God wants you as you are. Listen, there are probably just statistically... I've worked with people for almost 10 years now in ministry. Statistically speaking, based on my experience, there are people in this room that do not believe that God actually loves them as they are. There are people in this room who you, you have been trying so hard to craft this facade of not really struggling and not really doubting. 
and you feel like you have to keep that together in order to be part of a church, in order to be part of the community, in order to be welcomed, in order to worship. You feel like when you sing in worship, you have to pretend like everything's fine. Jesus loves you as you are. You do not have to figure that out. He loves you as you are. I also know in this room, in a room like this, there are probably people here who struggle like I do. And your struggle is to craft a perception that will make you look better so that you can get more influence. So that you can gain a better reputation. God won't use the ego you're crafting. He'll use who you are. Because he loves you as you are. There is no one who can change anything but you. There is no one who can do anything for you but yet transform you. Yet sin is real in this room. and accepted me as I was. God, I thank you that your love for me has never been based on what I could accomplish. Not even what I could accomplish for you. And God, I ask for me that you would remove any ego, anything that wants my name or myself or my reputation to be acknowledged because it is about you your name be glorified and no one else's. And Jesus, for those of us in this room who have such a hard time believing that we are actually loved as we are, for the people in this room who have been trying for their whole lives to become something lovable, to become something worthwhile, Jesus, whisper into our hearts that you love us as we are. You love us as we are right now, that your work on the cross took away all that was unacceptable so that we could be accepted and invited and used and redeemed and formed. Show us that the path to the freedom that we're looking for is not, is not figuring it out and bringing it to you, but it is coming to you and letting you fix it. Show us how much you love us right now 